Welcome to Lessons in Leadership, Steve Adubato. The color of the day, no joke, before we bring Mike Marin on from Holy Day. <laughs> Mary, is this, we just taped a couple of shows, did not talk to each other about what we were wearing. What color did we have on for other two shows? The other one was blue, and you had on a blue tie, I had on a blue blouse. Yes, we also had Michelle Acido on from Holy Name, the Chief Nursing Officer there. Before we bring Mike on, you and I just changed clothes. I did not change this, I changed this. Did we tell each other we're wearing gray, silver, right. whatever this is? Not at all. And I love it because we still have some more shows to tape today. So it's going to be a game to see if we do coordinate for the last shows of the day. But I love it. it we joked about it when we were talking to Michelle, who was awesome, by the way, Michelle Aceto at Holy Name. And we joked about it. And literally, it's been, you know, 22 years working together. And it becomes more of a, you know, work husband, work wife. And I think we just mind meld together for sure. Now, Mike Marin is wondering, after all the years we've known each other, Adubato and Mary, why are they just talking about their clothes? Mike, <laughs> Mike, you have a bright, beautiful blue tie on. Any significance there? Oh, yeah. So many, many years ago, Steve, you had reminded me that when you appear on television, it is different than how you would see yourself looking in the mirror and always wear a bright tie to, as something as loud as you would think, because on when it shows on TV, it's going to be muted and it's going to make you pop, not the tie. See, Mike Maron's got all these serious issues to be dealing with that. <laughs> He's dealing with this. Um, hey, Mike, listen, first of all, it's, a, it's an honor to have you on Back Again Lessons in Leadership. Do this. We're taping this mid-September 2022. It'll be seen later. We, I've asked you this so many times, but I'm going to ask you again because it's really not the same question. Number one leadership lesson that you feel you have learned this deep into the pandemic, this deep into your leadership career is? take responsibility for the, the obligations and the, and the, and, uh, um, the role that you're in. Don't look to blame others and, and learn to make do with what you have. Um, and, and so, and, and then if, if anything, uh, embrace the power of the people around you, you're never alone. And if you inspire them, they're going to inspire you and you're going to be highly responsive. Stay on that, Mike. Mary's not a fan of my having all kinds of props here, trust me. And it's not just my Yankee hat that I have here. Um, I have other hats too. One of my favorite books, Mike, written by two wonderful, extraordinary leaders, Navy SEALs who wrote Extreme Ownership, all about taking responsibility, as you just said. My question, why do you think so many CEOs, leaders, doesn't matter in government, not-for-profit sector, hospital, the healthcare world, corporate world, why do so many leaders have such a hard time, forget about extreme ownership, just taking any ownership and are so quick to blame others? Mike. I think, Steve, I think it's part of the, the, the downside, the negative side of the coin, if you will, of capitalism. So most leaders today, highly compensated career individuals. And if you put your compensation, your career path individually ahead of the organization as a whole, you're going you're gonna to abdicate that responsibility. Because look, when we got into the, um, the vaccine component, right? Deputy Commissioner of Health called me and said, help me understand this, Mike. Why are you guys investing time, energy, resources into vaccinating people? And I said to her, I said, Marcel, we are, that's our, I view it as that's our responsibility. We're in this community to serve the community. If we don't do it, 
who's going to do it? So we have to step up and do it. It's our responsibility. She goes, well, how are you going to get paid? I said, I don't know. We'll figure that out later. But right now, our community is hurting. The virus is running rampant. We have a vaccination. <clears throat> it's our responsibility to make sure that vaccination is delivered as quickly and efficiently to our community. That's our role. If we don't fulfill that role, why are we here? You did not wait to be told what to do, Mike. You stepped up, made a decision with your team, and moved forward. And if things had gone wrong, who was it on? No, it was on me, right? You, you, you have to, that's yeah. my point. But that's why I'm in this role. I have to make that call, you know, with my team. But we, you have to be willing to step up, evaluate a situation, take all the facts that you know at the time, and say, what's our role in this? What's our responsibility? Can we make a difference? If, if all of those boxes are checked, yes, 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 then you got to run with it as quickly as you can. And that's what we did. Mary, as I turn it back over to you, Mike raises a great point. You have to take the hit. You have to be the leader who owns it. There is no blaming of others. And that is one of the many reasons I have argued on Lessons in Leadership and in our seminars and my writing, et cetera. Leadership is not for everyone. It's just not. Go ahead, Mary. I'm sorry. Off well, my that, that is that is a perfect segue, though, because the next thing I'm going to say, and you and I have debated this a lot. I, I know you just said everyone, you He's know. Okay. Oh, I love that. Yes, his props are amazing. You never know what he's going to pull actually out. Coffee in here. It's not a prop, but go ahead. <laughs> so, Mike, uh, Steve and I have debated the concept of everyone is a leader, meaning everyone from the person at the reception desk to the person that may be cleaning the hospital rooms to you as the CEO of the organization. Do you believe that everyone is a leader, whether they're in a management position or not? Mike, before you answer, real quick, everyone's a leader. We, it's not from us. It comes from our good friend Larry Downs. Uh, the former CEO of New Jersey Resources, Larry said, everyone's leader. I'm like, what? Mary and I have been talking about it for 10 years. Go ahead, Mike. Yeah, I, I, I think everybody has the potential to be a leader. Whether they invoke that potential or not depends on the circumstances, right? So there's others that leaders are there or leaders are made by the circumstances that bring that out. To me, it's, it's kind of both. Um, you could have the potential in you that sort of is dormant, and doesn't come out uh, until there's a crisis or a situation that warrants it and you step up to the plate. But more often than not, I've seen people who I thought had leadership characteristics and qualities in them and a crisis hits and they disappear uh, because fear, their own personal fear, and that was in the pandemic, becomes an overwhelming force that they personally couldn't overcome. And so it demuted their, their role as, as a leader, right? Uh, and we see that everywhere all, all the time. So I think it's it's the combination of the two. I also do believe, I, I was trained this way, leadership is a, is a trait that can be taught. Uh, it has to be, you can absolutely treat it, but innate into the person's character is ultimately what drives in a real, real crisis where you see leadership capabilities emerge and rise to the top. Michelle Aceto. Right, I give you yeah, a chief nurse and check out. I'm sorry, Mike. Check out uh, Sylvester will put up our website, uh, standestliver.com. Check out Michelle Aceto, who is the chief nursing officer at, uh, at Holy Name. Great leader, great nursing leader, great interview uh, on with us. Go ahead, Mike, pick it up. 
So in January 2020, Michelle was not the CNO here. She was not the chief nursing officer. She was a hmm. she was an executive within the nursing ranks. Uh, but the 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 woman who ran nursing here for 12 years retired. We hadn't decided on how we were going to replace it. The pandemic hits. We take a team approach to it, but it became very, very clear just a couple of months into the pandemic that Michelle separated herself head and shoulders above everybody else. She how, worked, Mike? How? Because she took responsibility for her role as a leader and said, I'm going to be here every day. I'm going to make, it's a word that gets, gets shunned very much in society today. I'm going to make a personal sacrifice to make sure that me and this organization are responsible to the benefit of others. I am not going to, it's not about me. It is about me being of service to others. There, I may have said this to you once before, the Rockefeller Creed, right? Rockefeller Center in, in, in New York. This gets no play publicly. If you Google it, you can find it, but you never see it really touted. So John Rockefeller, many years ago, wrote 10 principles that he felt, the son, not the father, that he felt were, were important for people to live their life by, right? And there, uh, I read that. I came across it in Manhattan on the eve of the pandemic, right? The Christmas holidays, my wife and I are in New York and uh, we go to Rockefeller Center and there's this incredibly etched monument there and I start reading this and there's a security guard there and I'm like, where'd this come from? I'm like, I don't, I've been here thousands of times. I've never seen this. And the security guard starts laughing. He goes, you sure you've been here a thousand times? Because that's been here since the 40s. What are, you, what are you talking about? And I'm like, I never saw it. I never read it. And I sat there and I read it and I was taken back. So so much so I'll tell you, here's, here's principle eight in the Rockefeller principles of how you should conduct your life. I believe the rendering of useful service is the common duty of all mankind, that only in the purifying fires of sacrifice is the dross of selfishness consumed and the greatness of the human soul set free. Interpret that, Mike. Wow. So what I believe is, and that's and it applies for us, it applies to us in the pandemic. I gave this etched on a clock to all of my, my senior team because I believe this so much. We're in a service industry. We, I believe it is the common duty of mankind to be of useful service. So we're trying to be of useful service to our community. That is the greatest reward. It's not about me being notarized, it's not about what I get compensated. It's about the organization, the legacy we want here is that Holy Name was of outstanding service to its community. Uh, that's the most critical part. So be of service to your community. In order to do that, yeah. you have to make sacrifices. You have to suppress, right, dross to dismiss the drive of selfishness. You're going to put others ahead of yourself. Wow. Right? And in doing so, you set the greatness of the human soul free. It means that you are, you're going to move in an incredible, forceful, meaningful way. To me, it is, it is an, it, that's what all the healthcare providers who stepped up in a big, big way, conscious or unconscious, that's what they did during the pandemic. Mary, well, wow, Mike's got I'm me blown thinking. away. Yeah, Mary, can we do this as part of our, if you go on our lessons and leadership website, we're going to get that list. Of, what are they called again, Mike? The Rockefeller what? It's a Rockefeller Creed. Yep.
can we put literally find a, a box, put it on our website? Because I know we we have our leadership library of all the books that we think are terrific, including this one from the Dalai Lama and Desmond Tutu and Grit and a whole bunch of other books. But I'm going to say this, what Mike just shared, that belongs. We need to share that because all the years I've known Mike, I've never heard him say talk about it. that was that was right. That was late 2019, Mike. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Christmas season before Christmas and New Year's of 2019. Right. I'm in Manhattan walking through Rockefeller Center like I do every year. Right. And, but always that time of the year and multiple other times. And I turn around. So I, obviously we're a faith based organization. I'm a big believer in divine intervention. So I start questioning, like, why now? Why did all of a sudden walk past this thing a hundred times, never gave it notice, right? And that's my other message, right? So good leaders have a tendency to also tune out the noise around us and pick up all those subtle messages that are coming to all of us every day. We're just too busy to hear yeah. them and they go unhead, un, un, unheeded. Mike Maron, we've, we've had Mike on many times. Uh, this is particularly thoughtful, insightful. Check it out. Uh, make sure if people miss this show. Everybody knows how to go on our website and find back interviews, including the back one, the past ones with Mike. Hey, Mike, uh, I cannot thank you enough for joining us. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Steve, Mary, it's always an honor to be here with you guys. You're fabulous. So thank you for including me. You got it. Uh, I'm Steve Adubato, Mary Gemba, Mike Marin, right after this. This edition of Lessons in Leadership is made possible by the Bucino Leadership Institute at Seton Hall University, Prager Metis, Valley Bank, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825, the North Ward Center, the New Jersey Sharing Network, Delta Dental of New Jersey, Kessler Foundation, Veolia, Resourcing the World, and Seton Hall University, showing the world what great minds can do since 1856. This is Mary Gamba. If you want more leadership tips and tools, log on to stand-deliver.com. That's stand-deliver.com. Promotional support for this edition of Lessons in Leadership with me, Steve Adubato, and my colleague, Mary Gamba, has been provided by NJ.com, NJBIA, and New Jersey Business Magazine, CIANJ, and Commerce Magazine. Valley's all about making life easier for clients, and that's why we're all about smiles, too. So every day, we make it possible for home buyers to become homeowners, for folks chasing their dreams to become entrepreneurs, for parents to plan today for their children's tomorrow, and for communities to get better every day. You see, when we know we've put a smile on a customer's face, well, that puts one on ours, too. Most people don't think about where their water comes from, but we do. Veolia, more than water, resourcing the world. Welcome back to Lessons in Leadership, Steve Adubato and Mary Gamba. Uh, Mary, we'll let everybody know who our sponsors are a little bit later. We'll see all the folks who make our series possible. But I wanna do this, I'm gonna talk about PowerPoint. Now, someone might say, well, wh why are we talking about PowerPoint? Mary and I do a whole range of leadership seminars uh, with all kinds of organizations. Some are in person, some are remote. We ask people to make presentations about change, right? Our good friend Larry Downs sent us this book a long time ago, Deep Change. You may wonder what the heck does that have to do with anything? 
we ask people to make a three-minute presentation on change, a change or an improvement, innovation in your organization that makes a difference. And one of our clients used PowerPoint. And in fact, let's get into this, Mary. So in the graphic, you're going to see um, connecting with your audience. That's the first thing I want to do is about connecting with your audience. And then I want to talk about PowerPoint best practices. What does it have to do with leadership? Everything. Because leaders, in my view at least, and I know Mary agrees, leaders have to motivate people to make a difference in the lives of others. Leaders must motivate people to act, to do something. That's what Dr. King was all about. People say, oh, he was a great speaker. Yeah, he was a great leader who was a great speaker who motivated people to action, put their lives on the line for the civil rights movement. If you are a great speaker who doesn't move people to action, you're not really a great leader. That being said, Mary, um, connecting with your audience on any platform, digital or in person, first of all, the biggest difference from your perspective, we're doing this remotely, mm -hmm. right? We're connecting, we're trying to connect versus in person, biggest difference. Well, the biggest difference is you don't have that level of eye contact as you would in person. So if you and I were communicating in a studio sitting across from each other, I can literally be looking at you in the eye. But Zoom, which we're you're using that platform, but any virtual Google Meet, what have you, right now, if I look at you, you're down on the screen over here. But I need you're to focus. Exactly. But if I talk to you the entire time looking over here, the audience, anybody watching, whether it's a meeting or with us on television today, you need to make that eye contact. So that is something that we work with our clients um, a lot on because there is something to being in person and having that body language, being able to read the body language of the people that you're speaking with. So I find yes. that that's the biggest challenge. Sorry for interrupting. We talk, we talk about listening as well. And I interrupt Mary a lot. But that being said, what about when our clients say, our coaching clients, we do a lot of communication leadership coaching. Steve, what do you mean looking to the camera? If I'm looking at the people on the screen, I'm connecting with them. It's unnatural to look into the camera. It's not normal. I feel distracted. All true. But what? If you're not looking into the camera, the person on the receiving end does not feel that connection to you. That's why newscasters look into the camera as they're talking, because then you feel like they are talking directly to you, the audience. So yes, it's hard. And even if you're just doing it in a one-on-one -on -one meeting or even on a family Zoom, for anybody that's watching, if you're doing a family Zoom, sure, you can look around. I can see Steve's body language. I can look to see the sure. cues that our director is giving us. But then you zero back in on that camera, and it makes your audience feel much more connected. Isn't it interesting, two and a half, almost three years as we get into the spring of 2023, into the pandemic, virtual, remote communication, that people are still looking all over the place? Isn't that interesting? It is. Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, can we do this one? This is another little mini lesson. This is a mini seminar, if you will. Mary and I were talking about how we can use lessons in leadership as a teaching tool in our seminars. And this is where we want to do this. And Sylvester will put this, Sylvester, who's absolutely fabulous. He's so much more than an editor. He's creative. He's terrific. He's a leader on the back end of this series. He's going to put up PowerPoint best practices. Yes. Now, Mary, when we do our seminars, we ask people to make this three-minute presentation on change, some improvement, some innovation. We had a client recently who we told he had three minutes to do this. And he said, I have a PowerPoint presentation. I was reluctant because it was three minutes. And I thought, wow, PowerPoint, that's going to be tough. Because what happens, Mary, when you're remote? We were, it was a remote seminar. As soon as you put up a PowerPoint, what happens to 
the Brady Bunch boxes. What's that called again? Uh, a the gallery, gallery view. view. Yep. What happens mm -hmm. to gallery view as soon as you go with PowerPoint remotely? Yeah, as soon as you go to PowerPoint remotely, everybody goes down into a film strip on the right-hand side of their screen. If you have more than three or four people on that Zoom, then you need to use an arrow that then will cycle through the people. And everyone knows at that point, hey, I'm really small on that screen. The presenter is more so focused on the PowerPoint. They really can't see that I am disengaged. I'm checking my email. I'm checking my phone. I'm reading a book. You know, you could be doing a variety of things. So uh, that's problem number one when you're on Zoom in a meeting. And once you put that PowerPoint up, even if you're able to get that PowerPoint up, because sometimes technology is challenging in that the technology doesn't work. The sharing of the screen doesn't work. So Steve and I have always said, always, if you can go without, unless there's a true visual reason that you want to put something up on screen, be more conversational and engaging rather than relying on that PowerPoint. So one of the best practices in PowerPoint, only use PowerPoint if it enhances your message. Next bullet point you're gonna see, visuals are better than text. Why, Mary? Uh, because once you put up text on screen, and again, this applies for in-person or remotely, once you put up that text on screen, people are tempted to read the text. So one of two things is gonna happen. You're gonna be reading the text, as you're doing your PowerPoint presentation, the person is gonna be reading the text in their mind, so they're not gonna hear what you're saying. Or on the flip side, you might be saying something other than what's on the text, but the person's mind, because, hey, we're all trained to, hey, it's up on screen, let me read it. So that person is not truly uh, present and listening to what it is that you're actually saying. Third bullet point, less is more. Mary, the client we had in the seminar, I saw you because he sent the PowerPoint to you and then you were supposed to mechanically, I'm not sure how you were doing this technologically, put it up on the screen. And you said, quote, are you sure you want to do this? You're laughing. I'm laughing because- Three minute presentation. Yes. How many in this, slides? In this, oh my goodness. So this happens to so many people in person, again, and virtually. Um, I had received the PowerPoint, there were 18 slides. So let's say theoretically benefit of the doubt, even if you're gonna put up each slide for 15 seconds, you're not going to have enough time even mathematically to say your points and get through almost 20 slides. So if you are going to use a PowerPoint, make sure you're very aware of the time limit that you have and definitely do not have more than three slides for a three minute presentation uh, because you're not going to be able to get through all of them. I think we stopped at slide eight. Yeah, P.S. I'm going to go to the fourth bullet point in terms of best practices when using PowerPoint. But real quick, I cut off our client at four and a half minutes and I said, uh, Jim, do me a favor. Stop. And he said, what? He said, stop right there. Get rid of your PowerPoint. Put us back on the gallery view and talk us through this. And he panicked. But he started doing it. Mm -hmm. How much better was he, Mary, with no slides, just talking to us? And we were remote. Oh, How much we better? We were remote. Yeah, it was night and day. He lit up. He became conversational. His body language changed. So before that, you could almost tell he was looking in, reading the slide. Once that slide went away, that barrier that that was really breaking down his communication between us and everyone else that was on. I think we had eight or nine other people in the Zoom meeting that day in that seminar. Once that went away, it was conversational. Everybody yep. else leaned in. Everybody else perked up. And that's something to remember. And I know people watching this, if you're like, I don't really do PowerPoint that often, but it could be in any other type of communication that you're doing. The key is to be communication, I mean, conversational, engaging, 
and make sure you understand who your audience is and how they would really want and need to receive that information because more is not more it's just more it's just more and and mm -hmm. when you run out of time and you get cut off because there's more items on the agenda yeah. for that meeting it's embarrassing fourth bullet point white space in between your if you're going to have text a lot of white space so that people can see it. And Mary, how about this brilliant tip? Bigger font. Mm -hmm. What? If you're going to use a lot, any text, you wanna make sure that it's large enough for the person to read it. Too often people think again, more is better. And they try to cram in a whole bunch of like little text, statistics and numbers. And, and Steve, one of the things that you've always said is that numbers can be numbing. No one's going to remember a ton of statistics. Nobody's going to remember a ton of text. They're going to remember either a story that you're going to share related to your presentation, or they're going to remember one or two keywords, regardless of what that is. Um, but you want to make sure that you hone in on those keywords, less text. And if you do use text, definitely have it be nice and large. When using PowerPoint, it is absolutely essential that you engage your audience, meaning don't talk to the PowerPoint, talk to the people, meaning the message is not in the PowerPoint, it's in you. So devil's advocate, Mary says, Mary, uh, someone might say, but my PowerPoint keeps me focused. It, I remember what I want to say. What's the problem with that, Mary? Well, again, it goes back to if you need that to stay focused, you're going to end up reading off of that PowerPoint. No one, everyone's seen a presentation where somebody is reading a script. They're reading the words. They're not having a conversation with you. So once you start relying on that PowerPoint, you are going to lose your audience almost immediately. They're going to tune out. And if you have something in a PowerPoint that you could just send after the fact, whether in an email or as an attachment, do it. Because so many times people say, well, I have so much more to say. There's so much research to support my argument. That's great. Send it after the fact. But in that presentation, short, sweet, concise, and definitely do not read that PowerPoint. So that is our best practices around PowerPoint, PowerPoint best practices. We'll have that as a mini seminar. Mary, I believe we have two minutes left. I want to try this real quick. And it's tied to this topic, but not really. Confidence and leadership. I was telling you about a client the other day who was reluctant to want to go into coaching because she just was not confident. And I said, that's why you need to be in communication coaching. Long story short, confidence as a leader comes from a lot of things, but is not one of them. I know it's grammatically incorrect. Is one of them, in fact, practicing, getting feedback, practicing, getting feedback, getting up at bat again and again and again, Mary? Absolutely. And we I was hoping. Patriots, oh, those Patriots. props. <laughs> We're going to have the general manager of the Somerset Patriots, uh, Pat McVeary, joining us. Mary, you got to get up at bat, right? I know. I know. Absolutely. So, yes, it is about practice. You are not going to know if you're able to do it. It's like riding a bike. If you look at that bike, unless you get on it and you give it a shot, you're never going to learn how to ride that bike. You're not going to learn how to do it better unless you do it more often. And the same comes with pre presenting, having conversations, getting out of your comfort zone. Sure, it's hard. It is so hard to get outside of your comfort zone, but the payoff is going to be worth it. You're going to become more confident communicators and then in turn, more confident leader. One of our daughter's friends has been working on riding a bike for a while, and I've tried to help her a couple of times. She's going to ride that bike, but she's afraid right now. You got to keep, yes, you're going to fall. That's why you do it on the soft surface. That's why you do it in a field. 
There is no other way. You got to keep getting up at bat. Yes, I know we have to go. That's Mary. That's Steve. Hopefully we've given you a little bit of confidence. You've got our best practices using PowerPoint. It is the greatest leadership show in the world. Lessons in Leadership. Mary Gamma, Steve, see you next time. This edition of Lessons in Leadership is made possible by the Bucino Leadership Institute at Seton Hall University, Prager Metis, Valley Bank, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825, the North Ward Center, the New Jersey Sharing Network, Delta Dental of New Jersey, Kessler Foundation, Veolia, Resourcing the World, and Seton Hall University, showing the world what great minds can do since 1856. This is Mary Gamba. If you want more leadership tips and tools, log on to stand-deliver.com. That's stand-deliver.com. Promotional support for this edition of Lessons in Leadership with me, Steve Adubato, and my colleague, Mary Gamba, has been provided by NJ.com, NJBIA, and New Jersey Business Magazine, CIANJ, and Commerce Magazine. is all about making life easier for clients. And that's why we're all about smiles, too. So every day, we make it possible for home buyers to become homeowners. For folks chasing their dreams to become entrepreneurs. For parents to plan today for their children's tomorrow. And for communities to get better every day. You see, when we know we've put a smile on a customer's face, well, that puts one on ours, too. Most people don't think about where their water comes from, but we do. Veolia, more than water, resourcing the world.